welcome to the Critical Condition Sports Podcast, wherever you may be and however you're listening. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day and just, you know, giving the show a listen. It's a beautiful morning, and we've got a lot to talk about. We have football back, basketball's in the middle of the playoffs, all different kinds of sports are back, you know, MMA's going strong, baseball's still, you know, going on with its season, and, you know, for us football fans, yes, finally, the wait is almost over. For me, though, right here on the Critical Condition Sports Podcast, I just want to go ahead and let everyone know that, you know, obviously this is a very special episode for me because it is my very first one on the Anchor uh, platform along with, you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever else uh, you do listen to these podcasts from. So it's a very special one. I've been on YouTube for, you know, about four months and it's been a very exciting journey. I've enjoyed every single bit of it. I'm excited that I finally get to do this with you. And I uh, just want to thank everyone for joining me today. Real quick before we get started, you know, we got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to go over, you know, the Patriots season outlook, a Dak versus Deshaun debate. Uh, we got. I'm going to give you all a basketball update as well as a preview for this Thursday's game between the Chiefs and the Texans. So uh, real quick before we get started, I just want to go ahead and give you a little plug. Uh, follow Critical Condition at, at Instagram and Twitter. Twitter at Condition Talk. Instagram at Critical Condition Sports. And also, go over my YouTube channel. I do uh, weekly videos on different subjects, mainly about football, but I give you rankings. I give you uh, updates on what's going on during the season, and I do a lot of quarterback uh, debate videos on there. So if you want to go check that out at Critical Condition Sports, I'd appreciate that. Uh, Also, if you could go ahead and just go ahead and give a five-star review on this podcast and write a review if if you take the time uh, to do that, I'd appreciate that very much. So let's get started. So I'm going to start off with the Patriots season outlook for me. Now, this has been, you know, a touchy subject because I am a Patriots fan. And anyone that's known me for any part of my life could uh, vouch for that. I've been a huge Patriots fan for about, I want to say, uh, 21 years already. And, you know, for most of that, you know, we had Tom Brady as our quarterback. Well, that all changed this season because on March 17th, 2020, yes, the COVID year, Brady announced that he was leaving the Patriots. And, you know, it sent a shockwave throughout the entire NFL. Uh, More than that, though, more to that story is, you know, not only did he go sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but on July 8th, uh, 2020, Cam Newton signed with the Patriots. So now, what to expect from this season as a whole for, you know, Patriots fans? And what can the NFL expect? Um, For me, you know, I've heard a lot of, I guess, positive things from this whole Cam uh, relationship. I have a lot of friends that personally were happy with this signing and the fact that they believe that Cam is going to be able to lead this team to multiple different victories, you know, to be able to still win a division title and to be able to just make the playoffs. For all those people that say that, you know, I'm going to be, again, I'm being critical about this, but we all got to be honest with each other and wake up, you know? Cam Newton, uh, you know, to be real with you, and we just have to be completely honest about the entire situation, Cam Newton is a former MVP. He is an average quarterback at best who won, you know, 58% of his games in a team that made the entire team or the entire world for him revolve around him pretty much. You know, Cam Newton was 68-55-1 and 
as a starter in the playoffs was three and four. Most of those uh, obviously wins came uh, that Super Bowl year, where you know they were able to get two out of those three wins. But ever since then, I mean, he's been one and four, or one and three, better yet, because you know the fourth loss came in the Super Bowl. But the thing about this is, I don't understand what's there to believe or what's there to like about all this, because reality is that you know apparently people are saying that Cam is creating the buzz and his work ethic has changed and he's dived into the patriot way which is something that i don't you know quite buy into i don't buy bill belichick praising cam newton at all you know i like to tell everybody this and that's that everything's fine and dandy when there's no pressure and the fact is that the new england patriots and cam newton haven't had to face any adversity What's going to happen when your team is going is one and three, one and four, or two and three in a season? Tempers will start to flare. Losing makes you unhappy for the most part. There's some people that are just driven, I guess, by money, but for the most part in the sport, you know, losing uh, drives you insane. And Bill Belichick hasn't been used to, you know, losing a whole lot of games, you know? And. The thing about this signing is it's interesting with how many people just aren't buying into that. I want to remind people that, you know, training camp buzz, you should take as lightly as you take the preseason. Because, and by that, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is preseasons don't matter. Who in the world cares if your team goes 4-0 and in the preseason? It doesn't mean squat. You know, there was one year where the Detroit Lions went 4-0 in the preseason, and then when it came down to the regular season, they went 0-16, giving us that very first winless season. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. And the fact that people want to hype up crazy training ba- uh, training uh, camp buzz news as something big. I mean, look, I'm not saying that training whatever comes out of training camp doesn't matter, okay? Because it does. But... People have to be able to tell the difference in what to take seriously and what not to. Like Jared Stidham. Never bought Jared Stidham as the longtime answer for the New England Patriots. Quite frankly, uh, if it wasn't for him, I guess, being just young, young and a guy that, you know, knows their system, I probably think he would, I think he would have gotten cut. Because all we heard was this hype about Jared Stidham is ready to be the next guy. He's ready to be the heir apparent. Jared Stidham is, you know, has a cannon for R or I you know has great leadership skills. The thing, well, what I have to respond to that is the fact that why would Belichick, you know, if Belichick got a look, got a look over this guy and still wanted to keep Tom Brady or went out and got Cam Newton. Like if you believed in Jared Stidham, why would you be doing those things? Truth is, you know, the Patriots are really good at hiding things. And obviously now, you know, Jared Stidham coming coming into this this year's training camp wasn't solid at all. And it's been a real big disappointment, especially for the New England coaching staff. But I just, point is, I just never bought into that kind of buzz. And that's what it is. It's just buzz that people like to create in training camp. Obviously, there's no preseason, so the media has to entertain everyone and write articles and just, I guess, get people to talk. And I just never bought into that. Want want me to go ahead and keep going further with this? Well, does anyone remember Zach or Nate? I'm sorry, it was Zach Sudfeld. It's been so long. 
uh, New England Patriots a tight end that created so much buzz that people were calling him mini Gronk. The truth is that, you know, he didn't make the roster, but within a month in, he got cut because, you know, he didn't manage to get a single reception after having such such impactful preseason games. He didn't. Bill cut him after he fumbled an onside, uh, an onside kick. And, you know, obviously it was recorded by the other team. And after that, that was the end for Mr. Sudfeld. It's sad, but true. You know, training camp shouldn't be, training camp buzz should always be taken seriously. I mean, again, and it hurts because, you know, I'm a Patriot fan. And I know this season's not going to be a good one. But to everyone that's saying that, you know, the Patriots are still going to have a winning season. Come on, guys. Stop kidding yourself right now. This relationship between Bill Belichick and Cab Newton, I do not see working. Again, you got to be able to overcome adversity. It's like when you're at work, you know, and, you know, I personally came from a restaurant background and, you know, and if the business is slow, everyone's in a good mood. Every single employee comes in at the same time. Again, business is just going, you know, steady, nothing too crazy. Everyone's in, everyone's in a great mood and you're comfortable. Obviously, it's going to be an easy day. But what happens? I mean, everyone, anyone that's ever, ever been in a business like that. When you're working and what happens when a couple people, you know, call off, one person just doesn't, doesn't no call, no show, you know, people are in, are in a bad mood and you're just getting slammed. Tempers flare, people. Tempers flare. And that's why I'm not convinced in this whole Bill Belichick, Cam Newton relationship or match made in heaven. I don't. I see this New England Patriots team. Being in the bottom of the NFL when it comes to just personnel-wise. Because there's one thing that Bill fails at is to be able to draft good offensive skill position personnel. Mohamed Sanu just recently released him. <laughs> they gave up a second rounder for him. The New England Patriots receiving court is one of the weakest ones. I personally, and I've said this, I've been an advocate of this, I'd rather have the Jaguars weapons over the New England Patriots weapons. That's sad. The receivers can't get open, and you saw the frustration that the greatest quarterback of all time, quote-unquote, Tom Brady had with that, coupled with the fact that they don't have a good athletic tight end. They drafted two rookies this past season, but if there's any indication, rookie tight ends tend to struggle in the NFL for their first season. So you, there there goes that part of the impact of process there. O-line it's good, but they lost one of their or they lost their best offensive line skill position coach in Dante Scarnecchio. You know he retired, and you know I don't see. And they lost also key defensive players. You know Patrick Chung opted out, Dante Hightower opted out, and I just don't see when you look at the list of these things. And as a New England Patriot fan, say that you know Cam's going to take us to the promised land. Cam couldn't do that, minus one Super Bowl year. Couldn't lead a team that was designed to his abilities. And now you're going with Bill Belichick, a guy that is essentially just told you and told Tom Brady that it's his way or the highway. I just don't get it. I don't get it one bit. I don't get what's to see about this team and say that it's a contender. I have New England, you know, I had five games. Six is the ceiling for this football team. And I personally feel that, you know, obviously Bill has a trick up his sleeve and he's not doing these things on purpose. Personally, I don't see all these players opting out. You know, New England had about eight or nine players opt out. And I don't see any of these players opting out if Tom Brady was still there. Because, obviously, you know that you're in contention for the Super Bowl as long as he's there. 
this team is not in contention for the Super Bowl. They're not in contention for the playoffs. Uh, you know, I feel like this division is Buffalo's to lose. I personally have New England about, you know, five against six six wins this season. And for Cam, it's good, though, because of the fact that, you know, the COVID thing happened and training camps got shortened. So regardless of how Cam plays, as long as he does decent and as long as Cam, you know, shows that he's matured, next year he'll have a good market for him. And, you know, there'll be people that'll want to sign him. Uh, but other than that, I think that New England Patriots fans just need to be real with themselves, temper their expectations. And hey, like I said, Bill's got that plan, okay? It's, you know, try to reinvent and establish the culture again. You're moving off from Tom Brady and get one of those, one of those, one of the three young quarterbacks that are coming out of next year's NFL draft. That's what I have. So let me shift to this now. So uh, earlier in the week, Actually, I believe it was last week where it was Deshaun Watson who uh, just signed a huge contract extension. It was a four-year deal, $160 million. You know, it's going to pay him about, you know, $39 million for the upcoming NFL season. And it's funny because I knew that the Texans were wanting to work out a deal. I mean, that's the reason why they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins because they wanted that cap space to be able to do that. And I think the, the biggest thing for me is I find interesting is, you know, a couple weeks ago on my YouTube channel, I made a debate. It was uh, Dak versus Deshaun. Without a doubt, people were, you know, responding and saying that they'd rather have Deshaun. And it's very interesting to me because of the fact that, you know, people have, I've gotten a lot of flack because of the fact that, you know, I've, of the things that I've said about Dak. And Dak is, you know, a fourth round quarterback that plays like a fourth round quarterback. He needs all the situations to be going at a perfect way for him to be able to succeed properly and be able to win the games. Last season, you saw him against the good teams. He played well against the bad teams and played bad against the good teams. You go back and look at the Patriots game and the Philly game towards the end of the season where, you know, Dak needed to win that game to get his team into the playoffs, and he failed. He failed, and he couldn't put up points. And that's a real big thing. Now, when you look at both of these guys' careers, Deshaun, uh, you know, has played a little about a year less, about a year or two less than Dak, and actually, it's been a year and a half less than Dak because of the fact that Deshaun's rookie season got cut short with a torn ACL. But that's another story for later. But uh, you know, Dak as a starter is forty and twenty-one. Deshaun as a starter is twenty-four and thirteen. Dak has won sixty-five percent of his games, and you know. Deshaun, Deshaun's won, you know, I'm sorry, Deshaun's won 65% of the games, and Dak's won 63% of the games. So those two are identical. Now, Dak's completion percentage is 65%. You know, Deshaun's is 66%. So it's identical when it comes to that. Dak's won two division titles. Deshaun's won two division titles. Now, the difference here is Deshaun's not playing under the franchise tag. Deshaun got signed early and got a lucrative extension. People would argue that that's the kind of extension that Dak wanted from the Cowboys. And it's very interesting because of the fact that some people are saying that now the Cowboys are going to have to pay more money to Dak and that they lost and they should have signed him earlier. And I say, no, no, the Cowboys made the right move. Again, Dak is a fourth round quarterback that that plays like a fourth round quarterback. Okay. The difference between these two quarterbacks is the fact that, you know, even though they have number-wise a lot of similarities, 
The difference is, is that Deshaun Watson's been able to succeed in dysfunction. While Dak's been able to succeed with a perfect environment. Dak, since he's entered the league, has had, you know, a top eight offensive line. He's had a top three running game. He's had, you know, a top eight receiving core. And he's had coaches that keep giving him weapon after weapon after weapon. Des Bryant, out of his prime, gets cut. You start off the following season struggling because you have no solid receivers. You know, you had Dak Prescott throwing it to, like, Deontay Thompson and Cole Beasley. And the Cowboys fixed that within the season and gave up a first-round draft pick to get Amari Cooper. And obviously, you saw the difference. The Cowboys were able to power their way into the playoffs. But it wasn't going to happen that way if they didn't acquire Amari Cooper. Meanwhile, I do understand that Deshaun's had a top five receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins can go nuclear at any moment for your team. But the Texans were comfortable dealing him away. They were. He's a great piece, but I feel like it just shows their belief in Deshaun Watson than the Cowboys have shown their belief in Dak. Dallas has paid everyone. They paid everyone, and they've played people early. Look at that ridiculous Zeke contract. Deshaun did get paid early, and it just shows the confidence that that team has as a franchise. Now, Houston isn't run as great as Dallas is, and you know I feel like Dallas as an organization that's gotten a lot of flack is actually better better run than what we think. You know, they just get a bad rap because, you know, Jerry Jones is, always seems to open his mouth at the wrong times. And, you know, it can be a bit of a, not just a drama queen, but is just hunger for, is hungry for drama. But they're not, technically, they're not really a bad run organization. The Houston Texans, on the other hand, you know, they don't even have a GM. Bill O'Brien, if there's one thing we've seen, you know, the jury's still out on whether he's a good coach or not. People can still debate that. But if there's an argument that was put to bed is that he's a terrible GM. He is. You know, you see the memes you know going going on about the guy, and it's not it's not a it's a it's a, it's you know it's funny. It's funny. I'm not gonna lie. It's funny. But it's no laughing matter for the Houston Texans organization. The only thing that's saving Bill O'Brien right now is Deshaun Watson, and we've seen the guy be able to you know be able to win sloppy games. I don't think Dak can do that. I still think that Houston's going to more or less finish around the same, you know, 10 wins. And that's minus their number one receiver. What I got from the Houston Texans contract extension with Dak, I mean, I'm sorry, with Deshaun, over Dak's contract contract extension, I mean, Dak's playing on the franchise tag, is the fact that Houston believes in their quarterback and their confidence in him. They show that by getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. They'll be okay. They'll be the same team. And they'll maintain the same level of success. Versus Dak Prescott, who they haven't paid, who, you know, they overpaid Amari. They drafted another another receiver. And they already had another 1,000-yard receiver that broke out last year, Michael Gallup. All this does is shows me the fact that, you know, the Cowboys aren't sold on Dak. And for a quarterback, in a quarterback position, in a quarterback-driven league, it's very important to acknowledge when you have the guy. And Dallas don't know. Now, if this year he plays well, I do believe he'll get that contract extension that he wants. But he's got to win when it matters. Deshaun, regardless of what happened last year in the playoffs, 
I feel like Deshaun is a way better quarterback than Dak. I feel like he's one of those quarterbacks where, you know, you know he wants an extension. You sign a check, and you pretty much tell him what he wants, man. You ask him, what do you want? What's it going to take? Because when you have a generational talent or a generational quarterback or a quarterback that just can overcome terrible situations, that's my definition of what generational quarterbacks are in this league, superstars like that. I mean, they're superstars. And then there's, there's guys, there's a whole other tier within guys that can just overcome adversity and overcome whatever situation the team throws at them. Deshaun falls into that category. And plain and simple, Dak doesn't. We've seen the proof over the last three years. One has been able to flourish and be able to carry a team and win. And the other one's been able to win with all the weapons working for him. With, again, a top eight O-line, a top you know, three running back, you know, it's, it's kind of sad to see that and how, you know, obviously I understand that Dak wants to get paid more than what he, what he's worth. We all do. Who doesn't, right? But it's sad with, when it comes to some people that just want to break the entire bank. And I'm not saying that it's a knock on Dak, but you know, he is what he is. You know, he's a fourth rounder that plays like a fourth rounder. And I emphasize that a lot because I just, I, I don't see it. I've never believed it. I never believed in that he was going to break the bank in a deal. And clearly the Dallas Cowboys believe that. If not, they would have already signed him. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, got the money. I'm happy for him. The sky's the limit. Uh, now let's take care of that coach for Houston. So let me shift to this now. The NBA playoffs have been back. And it's been uh, very exciting. You know, the bubble has worked and the bu- the NBA has really nailed the bubble situation and has given us a lot of entertaining basketball. Currently right now in the in the NBA playoffs right now, we got four different series to look at. And in the Eastern Conference, we have the Miami Heat leading the Bucks 3-1 in a series. We have the Boston Celtics leading 3-2 against the Toronto Raptors. In the Western in the Western Conference, we have the LA Clippers with a two to one lead over the Nuggets, and we have the LA Lakers with a pretty much seri- a series tied at one game apiece with between the Houston Rockets. And you know, basketball has been very very intriguing this year because you know people were you know so. We're questioning the bubble and if it would work or not. And, you know, we got to hand it to the NBA, the way they've managed this. The NBA bubble, can you can safely say, is probably one of the safest plays, uh, safest places on the planet right now just because of the fact that, you know, they've had over a 1,000 tests and none of them have come back positive. So it's very good and it's very interesting to be able to just see how they've handled the situation. I think Adam Silver as commissioner has really nailed it. But now to talk about the NBA playoffs, though, I have two takeaways from this. And hear me out here. I knew that. And this is maybe may not be pop. I'm not going to say it's popular opinion, but it may not be a surprising one or surprising take right now. But Giannis is disappointed. And coming into the season, shout out to my boy at TV on basketball. You know, I was able to go on his show. And I told him, you know, one of my predictions is the fact that Giannis was going to disappoint. Whether, you know, I foresaw it in this stage of the playoffs, I didn't, you know, see it so much in the Eastern Conference uh, finals 
because of the fact that in you know seven seasons he's only won you know three playoff series one this year and two last year and the fact that Giannis is a the kind of player and he's very easy to read he's a player that plays well with the lead and he's a player that can get you out of a jam if you're down 10 points with you know five six minutes left to go in the game this team unravels whenever they're forced to have to like win shootouts you know and with Chris Middleton being your second best player there, I know Chris Middleton's played well in this series, but that doesn't make up for the other ones where he doesn't show up. You know, big deal. That's all I have to say about the Bucks winning the fourth game. You're going to lose in five, six games instead of uh, four in a row. I mean, you shouldn't lose four in a row. You have the quote-unquote NF... Uh, I'm sorry, you have the quote-unquote NBA MVP. And the thing about that is, you know, you're not supposed to lose like that. And I do understand that in the game of basketball, it happens. But this is why these seven-game series were made, is to be able to help get the best teams all the way uh, to the conference finals and into the finals. Why do you think there's seven games? In football, it's a one-and-done kind of a deal. If the underdog, if you have a bad half and the underdog catches you on that day and wins, they move on. In basketball, if, you know, you do have bad games and if you, you know, if the underdog catches you on an off night and they win, well, congratulations. You still got to win another three more. So in the NBA, it's more about skill than luck. And I don't think Miami's gotten lucky. I think Miami is just a really good basketball team. They can shoot better. They have a good young core. They may not be, you know, as defensively coached and as defensively disciplined as, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, who, you know, Budenholzer is a great coach and, you know, he has a great system going there. But the thing is that Giannis as your star isn't really going to guide you to championships because I don't think that Giannis is made to be the number one guy. To me, number one guys in basketball are guys that can carry your team and be able to get you out of a bind when your team needs you the most. I need a three-point shot with two, three seconds left in the game. Steph Curry is an example of that, and that's a guy I would trust. LeBron James. Kawhi Leonard. You know why I don't trust taking those kind of shots? Paul George. Russell Westbrook. Hell, James Harden. And Giannis. And to me, you know, it's not a knock on Giannis, you know, in the game of basketball, you you can't just win by being, you know, just a one man show. Nowadays, you need two, three, you know, at times even a fourth solid contributor. That's why I think the Clippers are so good because, you know, they have Kawhi, they have Paul George, they have Lou Williams, they have, you know, Montrezl Harrell. And looking at this situation... You know, it's not going to get better for the Bucks, and it's fueling more rumors with him, you know, leaving Milwaukee. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen on that. It's not the time to weigh in on that. But Giannis is just disappointing, and he's just not, you know, he's a star, but he's not never going to be the face in the NBA. And he's not, and I and I feel bad just not saying not generational talent, but he's just not a solid number one guy that can carry your team and get you over the hump. He's not. 
He needs more help around him or he needs to go somewhere else. Like, you know, the Warriors where the pressure's not going to be on him. That's what pretty much Kevin Durant did and it got him a title. And if that's what Giannis really desires, it's something that he's got to consider. And that's, you know, having to either, you know, try, tell Milwaukee, hey, I need some real help or just bounce. The second takeaway is that Russell Westbrook is who I thought he was. Russell Westbrook in game two, and this is staggering when I saw this, shot a 23.5% in game two. Now, the Rockets are winning and have stayed in the playoffs in spite of Russell Westbrook, just because of the fact that since the bubble has gone on, the Rockets with small ball are the number one defensive team in basketball. It's insane. And regardless of the fun that people like to poke at to James Harden, I mean, they were able to win the series in spite of Russell Westbrook's mistakes. Harden was able to make a game-winning block or a division series, I'm sorry, a playoff series block to be able to win it and seal it for them and to really just save their season when he was able to, you know, block Lou Dort. And... The takeaway, again, from all this was the fact that, you know, Houston, you know, 2-2 in the series against the Oklahoma City Thunder that were very gamed. And when Westbrook came in, you saw, I mean, Russell Westbrook put his team in danger of losing. Whether it was an out-of-bounds call, whether it's missing shots late in the game, or whether it's, you know, in this game against game two against the Lakers where, you know, practically the Lakers were begging him to shoot and take those shots because they knew he was going to miss. The fact is that Russell Westbrook has come crashing down to earth since that MVP season that he had, which really wasn't that phenomenal. It's a stat year. You know, the triple-double was a nice stat. Now, now, you know, people aren't making a big deal of it as much anymore. But, you know, for him, it was good. You know, he was able to win an MVP off that. But he just doesn't – he impacts games, but just – in a completely negative way. And Russell Westbrook is going to be the reason why the Houston Rockets don't make it out of this series against the Lakers. It, to me, I know that the Rockets won game one. But it's the same thing that I said about Portland. I feel like, you know, Port- Portland was going to win one game. And then after that, LeBron was just going to take it to them the rest. And, you know, they won four in a row. That's just the way I see this uh, playoff series happening, just because of the fact that Russell Westbrook is a huge liability. And at this point, middle of the series, he's not going to change his game, and he's not going to change who he is. You know, the fact that Oklahoma City, regardless of them losing the first round, got rid of Russell Westbrook and were able to make it further in a series than all the years with Russ should tell you something. Teams get better without him. And, you know, I mean, though he's only been with one other team, but players get better once they leave and don't play with Russell Westbrook. So it's just it's been fascinating to see and seeing how th- this kind of player has you know come crashing down. You know the league's pretty much gotten away from him, and it's going to be very interesting to see. Again, for a lot of people, but for me, I know that you know it's pretty much going to be the Lakers uh, series uh, from here on out, you know, after seeing the way LeBron played, I feel like when LeBron loses, it's like, it's like a boxer getting hit in the face and like tasting his own blood down the lip and they go insane and then go for the knockout. And that's what, you know, I characterize LeBron James as 
You know, they lose one game, and after that, man, you're you're in trouble. You better make zero to maybe one mistake a night when you're playing against that animal of a player. So now, going into this now, Chiefs versus Texans. It's a very uh, exciting time again. The NFL season kicks off. The Kansas City Chiefs kick off their title defense. And in what's going to be, for sure, a barn burner, fireworks everywhere for this football game. I'm very excited to see it. As far as what I believe is going to go down, well, in this game, I have the Kansas City Chiefs going over the Houston Texans. The Chiefs will win this because... As great as I talked about Deshaun Watson earlier, coaching matters. It does. Now, if this game was going on in the middle of the season, I'd more than likely take Houston. Because I feel like Deshaun is so good that on a week-to-week basis, on a week-to-week time frame to be able to prepare, I feel like I feel I feel like it's good and Deshaun is just that good enough to be able to pull off the win over Patrick Mahomes. But, again, regardless of what's going on and the shortage and the way people have been able to prepare, no preseason, short training camps, a lot of different extra things or precautions that teams have to take because of COVID, one thing doesn't change. The fact that coaches have been able to game plan for this game since, you know, the schedule's release. They've had months to prepare for this game. And if I had to take a coach in this matchup, I'd have to take, without a doubt, Andy Reid, who is one of the best coaching planners that there is, or coach game planners that there are in the game of football, pretty much. Andy Reid's only had about two losses since you know he started off his career as a head coach coming off a of bye week. So the thing I take away from this is that Andy Reid's one of the best um, game preparation coaches as long as given enough time. And I feel like he's had more than enough time to be able to make a plan for this Houston Texans team who will be short of DeAndre Hopkins. And Deshaun needs to be able to build chemistry with some of these players. There's news and rumors that Brandon Cooks isn't getting the offense and that they're slowly easing him in because of injuries and because he's learning a new playbook. And again, that's where this whole COVID thing impacts teams' preparation. I feel like Kansas City has a better quarterback. They, as well as Houston, both have systems in place. But Patrick Mahomes is still on another level. They have better personnel. Patrick Mahomes has another weapon in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I think will have a fantastic night. I think Tyreek's going to have a field day. And I feel like this game, it doesn't mean that Houston's not going to put up points. Both of these teams are going to put up points. But I just think that the gap in coaching is huge. I feel like Deshaun without DeAndre, it's a big loss and hasn't had the sufficient time to be able to gel with the weapons. And you're questioning whether, you know, Will Fuller will make the game fully healthy. That's just not a knock on him. It's just the truth. And it's the drop-off in the running game that the Houston Texans have never had. And, you know, the fact that their offensive line is middle of the pack over the Kansas City Chiefs, I just don't like that combination. I get Andy Reid, who's had weeks and weeks to prepare for this game, the better coach. I have, again, a better quarterback. 
on an emotional night where people are going to be hyped. You know, it's the Kansas City Chiefs' first Super Bowl in 50 years, and it's the start of their title defense, and it's Patrick Mahomes, and it's Tyreek Hill, and it's all this explosiveness that the Kansas City offense has to offer, and it just makes for fireworks. And this team is ready to go. I have no doubt about that. Andy Reid has his team focused, and there's no issues going on here. So I have the Kansas City Chiefs defeating the Houston Texans 41-31 to to open up the season and give us some exciting football back. So there you have it. Uh, thanks for listening. I think this is where I'm going to end, end this off right now. Uh, I want to thank you for listening once again. And I will be back uh, next week on Tuesday with another edition of the Critical Condition Sports Podcast where we're going to go over and break down the weekend review. Go on my YouTube channel on Critical Condition Sports as well for other content and sports-related info that I will have for you over there. Thanks for listening once again. Y'all take care. Peace.